All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. TIC News Talk 1080. WTIC, good afternoon. I I have to say I was being nice. I was going easy on the guy because he's really in over his head. But it is important to understand that this is how little is under is is expected of somebody who's. Democrats see as uh, somebody they can just push right into the highest levels of state government, and he'll just say the things he's supposed to say and do the things he's supposed to do and talk about what a wonderful job the governor's doing and what a wonderful state the state is in and how everything's wonderful economically, and he just wants to teach the kids to balance their checkbooks and be financially literate, and, and his job is done. And all he has to do is be his identity. This is the, the hazard of identity politics, is you get chosen for your identity, and no further effort is required. It's a stunning betrayal of the truth of what Democrats think of you and how little respect they have for state government. They just want to be able to plunder blindly, with a lot of yes men around them so they can do all the damage they want to do and have everybody look at them and say, oh, how lovely you are. And what's interesting is the, uh, you know, the Democrats' theft of elections and theft of huge amounts of money, destroying the state financially, they do that with smiles and quiet platitudes, and they feel quite good about themselves because they maintain decorum and they don't violate uh, social norms, they say. Uh, but, of course, they do. They violate the social norm of trying to do what's right instead of conning the people and lying all the time in, instead of um, sharing truths with people. It, it, the, the disgraceful wreck that they have made of the state, and, and that's, what, that's what that demonstrates, is they, they plan to make it worse. And this is their M.O. Just find some person you can shove into the position so the thieves can continue stealing. Let's go to the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center. Mark Christopher is back. What song do you play when somebody's back and you're excited and you want to have a little party? Zippity-doo-dah. Do you have that happy, Mark? Zippity-doo-dah. Do, do you have that happening uh, nearby? Zippity. It's under uh, Z. How no. many songs can there Z, be under Z? Z? Yeah, do, there's, uh, I don't have Zippity. Do you have any other song uh, under about, Z? Play any song under Z. Any song under Z, all right? Z, Z A, Z. There's not a lot of songs under Z. Now that's the oh, there it is. When you can't open your mouth, what'd you find? Without a song, jump right well, out of it. Nothing. <laughs> there it is. You found that's it. That's not me, though. That's not you. No, that's. That's Anthony, I think. No, Anthony couldn't do that so fast. That must be the gods of yeah, Zippity. Thank you, Mark. Welcome back. 
Oh, that's good. Your dreams were your ticket John Sebastian. Welcome yeah. Welcome back, Carter theme song. Carter. That's the Potter. one that came to my mind right away. That's a good song. Go. All right. Thank you, Mark, for a little song. concert. Hey, no problem. Sorry I couldn't find that Z song for you. It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. How exciting is this? It's Monday afternoon. And this is our new regular time for Michael Leibowitz, who hasn't been able to do a regular time since really the start of COVID uh, because so many People, I don't know, in the prison system maybe just didn't call in for or called in sick and didn't show up for work, so there weren't enough people to have a regular schedule. That might be it, Michael. Hey there. <laughs> Hello, Todd. Good afternoon to you. So Lebo, great to have you here. Day. You've been chomping Thank at the you, bit Todd. to do what? Well, ever since the other day when I heard Shattuck refer to the uh, pricing of the Springsteen concert tickets as price gouging, uh-huh. I've been dying to call in and address the issue. Why? What was wrong with calling Springsteen? Is Springsteen charging five thousand dollars for for a ticket to see him? Uh, how could that be price gouging? Well, is that where you're? Is that where you're arguing? Gouging, well, the problem is, is price gouging is a nefarious non-concept. It, it has no referent in reality. There's no such thing. There's no definition. Uh, it, no, well, it seems to me that what it's rooted in is the idea that some people have a right to the property of other people. If you just take the example of the Springsteen concert, it seems to me that the proprietors of those tickets, whether they be, you know, it's Bruce Springsteen, the Mohegan Sun, and, you know, whoever else is involved in selling mm-hmm. them, they have to decide how a scarce product like concert tickets are going to be distributed. They could do it arbitrarily and just say, we're going to give them to who we want. They could, you know, estimate what the prices should be and allow them to go on a first-come, first-served basis, or they could allow competitive bidding. And it's unclear to me how any one of those is more or less fair to consumers. What ends up happening is, and under each set of circumstances, some consumers are going to be barred from attending the concert, and any one of them could then claim it's unfair because they see themselves as having a presumed right to see the boss. Yeah, so Tom, what, what was Tom's position the other day that you took issue with? Well, it was essentially that because the prices were so high, it was price gouging. But that, ha- that, that implies that there's a correct price for a commodity, and there's simply no such thing. The, the, this actually goes back, Todd, to a concept that endured in the uh, nascent field of economics for centuries. It was called the just price, where people thought that there was a, a morally correct price. But that whole idea was exploded centuries ago by Spanish economists called the Spanish scholastics or schoolmen. And if you think about price gouging, take it out of the realm of just the uh, concert tickets, and think about any commodity where the price is ultimately governed by the subjective value judgments of consumers, the quantity of money in the population, and whatever the, you know, the uh, proprietor is willing to sell for. Mm-hmm. So if you take like something like gasoline, for instance, you have a demand for it that will either drive the price up or down depending on the supply and the quantity of money. 
the problem here is, is that who is going to decide what the correct price is? Now, if, normally what ends up happening is people say the government should decide such a thing. First of all, to me, it's a total injustice that the government is going to tell somebody what they can and can't. Well, it's totally ludicrous. Let's say that we yeah. all complain that, go- that gasoline should be a dollar a gallon, and we got the gov- government to pass a law saying you can't sell it for more than a dollar a gallon. Then there would be no, all the gas stations would close, and there'd be no gas available. <laughs> That's precisely right. So, so how would the government have achieved anything? This is this is how dumb we are as a people, I guess, that we, we buy these things, these ridiculous ideas that that we get sold by politicians and and think there's some validity to them yeah and every time they try this sort of stuff whether it be in regulating the price of labor in terms of minimum wage laws or rent control or price control as they did in the 70s with gasoline you end up with shortages of whatever commodity they think they can set the price to because ultimately they're setting a price either below or above what the demand for it is when that happens you end up either with shortages or surpluses. In the case of minimum wage, you end up with a surplus of labor that you can't employ at too high of a rate. In the case of you know, when you try to keep the price from going up, as in the case of gasoline, you ended up with the gas lines you had in the 70s, which I wasn't around for, but I think you may have been. Yes, I remember it well. Yeah, so when, when the problem I have is, is, is Tom is a defender of capitalism. So what ends up happening is if you have a novice listening to the show and he hears this defensive capitalism and then he hears somebody say price gouging and he said oh yeah look that capitalism is horrible but in reality the price system is the most magnificent perhaps economic i don't want to even want to say invention discovery would probably be better because by means of the price system entrepreneurs and consumers are able to see what needs to be produced what what where the best deal is to buy things these prices send messages about what the supply and demand in the economy is. And when you have a third party jump in to interfere with it, like I said, he commits an injustice or she commits an injustice, but they also create uh, missed signals in the economy where people jump to wrong conclusions and you just end up with a, a debacle. Well, yeah, yes, and, and that's the beauty of it is that there are signals, and all these signals are going back and forth. You can You can imagine little electronic sparks going down the cables to back and forth in every which way and everybody getting informed in a kind of a natural organic movement every day of what the value of something is yeah and as a side anybody that's willing to pay thousands of dollars to see this screaming buffoon in concert to me is a bit ridiculous but that's just my subjective judgment somebody else might think that's perfectly fine and more power to them if they're willing to spend the money let them go see him. Bruce and the Screaming Buffoons, coming up next week. (laughs) And by the way, somebody the other day who called your show, Todd, and said that he sold us, you know, pretending he was a patriot. But that's just a myth. The song Born in the USA, if you listen to the words, it's far from patriotic. Well, it it increased the vibe of patriotism, so people don't notice. It's like Imagine. Who nobody knows that Imagine is an anti-American, anti-liberty, anti-market song. Yeah, it's a very, uh, very communist tune. Yeah, well, but, but there's, there's, there's thousands of people who are walking the streets every day. Imagine all the people. <laughs> and they don't know they're saying. And he says it right out, imagine no religion. And all the religious people are going, imagine no religion. 
How about imagine if we could just have liberty? What a better world this would be. Now, there's a song you should have written. Yeah, if everybody didn't think they could legislate what's best for everybody else and was just allowed to do their own thing as long as they don't violate the rights of others, I think we live in a much better world. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Michael Leibowitz. I look forward to the day you're able to call from a normal landline without the prison system interfering, because uh, I'm looking forward to hearing your voice sounding a lot better. Well, you, you got to hear it in court, Todd. How did it sound there? Yeah, well, I want that over the air. I'm talking in my earbuds when I'm on the radio. I want to hear the real Leibowitz voice. <laughs> All right, sir. Well, I'm working on it. Only a couple more months. All right. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> We'll talk to you soon. Michael Leibowitz. Yep, he is supposed scheduled to get out of prison this year, which will be uh, open up all kinds of possibilities for him to do good in the world. With 860, you, uh, what's up? I was going to say, with you talking about Imagine and uh, Bruce Springsteen, imagine if, I don't know, I'm just thinking of Tom Shattuck now because he was the one that Lebo called about. Mm -hmm. Imagine if Tom Shattuck charged $5,000 to view his podcast episode. Would he think that's ridiculous? Oh, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, he would, because nobody would... It's he'd true. have no listeners. It'd be, I mean, if he went on a singing tour, he might... Did it, you heard his cover, right? That was so... His Bruce Springsteen cover. I think oh, he yeah, might that have a was career. in the promo. That was wonderful. Yeah, th this is just... Hey, little girl, do you have some cash? Gonna need 5000 from your stash, home. I got a bad desire. Ticket price is getting high. Good lyricist and a perfect pitch. <laughs> Who knew? We need to see him at concert. Come on. His, his talents are unlimited. <laughs> it's so exciting. What that Shattuck does. All right, I want to play some. Where is my um, Dita? All right, so I played one of the Ditas. The first, let me play the first Dita. This is the woman who I guess is will win the treasurer's race because she knows how to sound like she's got a mission. It's really important for political candidates to be mission driven. Listen to what she says and notice it doesn't matter what office she's running for. I'm Dita Bargava, and I approve this message for millions of women across America. This is who had freedom over their own bodies stripped away. This is who the Supreme Court left completely vulnerable. As Democrats, we need to fight harder. So I'll lead the crusade for our right to choose as state treasurer. We'll push companies that we invest in to guarantee employees access to safe abortions. This is who's fighting back and why we need more women in office. So she's running for state treasurer and she made it her, her first ad about abortion, which is really smart because nobody knows what a treasurer does or cares about what a treasurer does because they don't know what they do. So why not make it like I'm in charge of social issues? They killed a million people, including our son. All She's Wait, running. Uh, but she was just talking about how they want the, your employer to pay for your, your abortion. But then now she's going to talk about how someone was killed. How about those two ads juxtaposed against each other? Oh, my other? gosh. <laughs> and let alone having an abortion is one thing. But to then make your employer pay for it? Like, where are we? I just, uh, we're in the land of socialism. So uh, her son died apparently of a um, one of those one of those nasty drug overdoses. You know that so those drugs that are kicking around today, and and the the opioid death of her 26 year old is is now part of the campaign. 
They killed a million people, including our son, all to make more money. I'm Dita Bhargava, the only candidate for state treasurer who's managed billions in investments. I'll use Connecticut's money to fight back and hold big corporations accountable. You want our investments? No profiting from addiction or guns. And most of all, you must support a woman's right to an abortion. I'm Dita Bhargava, and I approve this message. They didn't. Here she's campaigning for cancel culture in the treasurer's office. She wants to cancel the investments for anybody who uh, drives a car that has fumes coming out of the back of it. Now, I would assume that would include electric cars because the fumes are emitted earlier, but they're still burning electricity, electric cars, which comes from fossil fuels. She wants to get rid of guns. You know investments in guns. She'll just go right down the list of things that the state can't invest in. So she's actually the most dangerous person to be state treasurer. But that's not how the Democrats work today. It's all about what kind of pose you can strike. What a remarkable world we live in. Let's talk to Dave in Branford. Hello there, Dave. For the treasurer, Todd, it's funny that none of the people running are actually parading their financial bona fides in front of the voters for them to consider. Isn't it? Uh, for instance, if I was uh, interviewing for a financial uh, management firm for my money in retirement, <laughs> you'd like to know, are they a fundamentalist or are they technical analysis? And I won't go into it, but Oh, well, they're total fundamentalists, these people. Uh, technical analysis, you look at how many uh, short sales versus regular sales, you know, things like that. What do they think about offshore versus domestic investment? How about uh, inflation hedges like gold mining in Alaska? Is that a good thing? How about programmed trading versus circuit breaker systems? Nobody talks anything about financials, which is the job they're applying for. It's just awful. Uh, it is Can you write awful. down all these questions for me? Well, uh, I, I could, but it's a little boring to put it out over the air. But that's what we need to know, because you want to maximize return. And a, a little bit of a turn-it-on-its-head argument, all the stuff that Dita won't invest in, the uh, the cigarettes and the gambling and the marijuana and the narcotics. And anybody all, who drives a car. Those are all addictive things. It mm -hmm. seems to me that's a good business model. If you sell a product that really makes the, the, the consumer want to come back, Man, we need to invest in more of that. It almost forces you to buy more of what you've already bought. That's right. And uh, that, that's my kind of a joke. But uh, <laughs> but uh, how about getting the Republican guy running for treasurer on? That's what we need to hear, not not the cartoonish Democrat. Oh, well, I think, it's, I, I think uh, they're all of value. And the cartoons, I think, are really pretty good and funny. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. By the way, for Lebo, I hope uh, once he gets out, when he gets out, he doesn't forget us, who made him the man that he is. Are you kidding? He's going to be all over us, Dave, and all over our airwaves, I hope. Thanks for the time, sir. Bye. Talk to you soon, Dave, from Brantford. As we go back, it's such a pleasure. Follow us on Twitter at WTIC1080.
You know, every time, every time I have a Democrat on like that, who doesn't know what they're getting into, it's so it's so exciting to just talk to one of them because it it's a chance for you to see what they're really all about. But then I get kind of sad about it because then I figured the chances of another one coming on are even slimmer. But what are we to do? Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. Paul's calling from Waterbury. Hey, Paul. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking my call. So uh, this guy, Eric Russell, I, I turned your show on, and I heard this guy talking, and I'm going, oh, my God, this guy does not have a clue. This guy is total Melbatose. He's talking about the strides the Lamont administration Isn't that has funny? made. What strides? One of the most you know, taxed states in the country. The guy blew it with COVID totally. And, I, you know, my personal feelings on that with where I work. But unbelievable. This guy does not have a damn clue. And I just wanted to say that. That's all. Well, and that, I'm glad you emphasized that point because he is the uh, Democrat nominee, you know, the party nominee for state treasurer. And I, yeah. I suspect he's not expected to win it because he doesn't seem like he's been campaigning much. He doesn't seem to have a feel for uh, for what to say beyond the... the, the uh, can, uh, I, can I say one thing? Yeah. I probably shouldn't bring this up because I don't want to sound anti-LGBTQ, XYZ. I, and I have a lot of friends who are gay. You know, I, 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 it should not be condemned. It should not be prejudiced. But at the same point, Todd, I don't think it needs to be billboarded. Okay, he talks about his husband. I don't know why he needed to bring that up, uh, but he felt the need to bring that up. I think because, I you know, if you're running for office, you look for anything that's going to provide the propulsion to maybe lift you, lift you into a higher altitude. And in Democratic politics today, it's not about your character. It's not about your abilities. It's not about your expertise. It's about what you look like. It's about the superficial, immutable characteristics. It's about prejudice and bigotry. And using those instincts to uh, to to trigger the tribe. So he actually thought this was going to help him. That he's well, there. that's why he says those things. He thinks they're going to help. Yeah. It nothing to do with. It has nothing to do with anything. You know. Well, his opponent, his opponent for his opponent for the Democratic nomination for treasurer, uh, Dita, is her whole thing is about that she's a woman, that she's Indian, and that. Uh, because she's a woman, she can talk about abortion, and because she has a son who who died in the opioid crisis, and she wants to use those things. So, so it's the same game, I think, Paul. For for yeah, both of them, it's about how do you virtue signal your way to a a nomination in politics today. Got to hold you right there, but thank you, sir. Eight six zero five two two WTIC. We're going to the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center, checking in again. With Mark Christopher, see what's happening out on those roads with Marcus. Christopher, I've got to keep saying your name so you won't go away again. <laughs> now, back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. Oh, it's always so much fun to have Chris Powell on because reading Chris Powell's stories in the Journal Inquirer is always so much fun. His articles, his columns. 
That's what they're called, columns. Like the equity racket. How about that subject? Or the budget surplus that isn't really good news. Chris is here to be the curmudgeon that he's so good at being. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Todd. I, I prefer to be known as a bitter old crank. All right. If you, bitter old crank. A B-O-C. <laughs> You're a B-O-C. So I, I can't figure out which of these columns of yours I like the best, but, but I do have to say that the equity racket, I think, is the best place to start because this word seems to have just dropped from the sky and become the basis for everything Democrats do over the last couple of years. Yeah, it, it uh, sanitizes uh, everything. Uh, equity really is now, uh, I think, in the case I was writing about, a disguise for uh, for, for political patronage. We're going to pass out marijuana licenses uh, on the basis of equity, which you know means that uh, the State Department of Consumer Protection uh, can award licenses not entirely on the basis of uh, uh, somebody's qualifications set by statute, but by uh, political favor, whether the uh, Consumer Protection Department thinks that uh, the applicant uh, is going to uh, somehow redress the uh, uh, harm done by uh, the war on drugs over the years. And so, as the Connecticut Examiner reported uh, uh, the other day, you've got a former Republican state senator, Art Lenares, um, <clears throat> who is now married to the uh, uh, the Democratic mayor of, uh, of Stanford, has uh, started a a, a company that's seeking a license for growing uh, marijuana in uh, in Connecticut, uh, and it looks like uh, his company is going to uh, to get the uh, the license. They they have a, a, a straw man who I guess has lived in a <laughs> in a depressed area for five years, which constitutes the the equity requirement of the the application. But now you've got a you know former Republican senator and a current. Uh, uh, Democratic mayor uh, connected to a company that's going to get a license. They're running, you know, both sides of the uh, the street here, and we're going to call this equity. Uh, but isn't that supposed? Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? If the government does well, it, well, isn't it, it, it supposed to succumb to pressure? It's it's the uh, the way it has worked in Connecticut in the uh, the the past. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when uh, cable TV licenses were being distributed in, in Connecticut uh, back in the in the 70s and and 80s uh, the state set it up so that um, uh, the state was divided up into uh, districts with with one cable TV license to be issued in each uh, district and then there was a requirement uh, that the companies seeking the licenses had to have local owners local investors so what happened uh, politically connected people in each of the franchise areas got together, <laughs> formed a cable TV company, though they did not have the capital or the expertise to run a cable TV company. And these politically connected people got the state license and very soon sold it to a real cable TV company that would open the franchise and run the business. And the politically connected people made a bundle. Uh, you know, when you, when you, you, you're distributing goodies, licenses from state government, uh, in ways that aren't very tightly controlled by, you know, specific cr criteria, you turn it into a political process, and you sanitize it by calling it equity. But the thing is, this equity isn't based on a desire to make sure there's local ownership of companies. Uh, so you can say, yes, 
that was rigged from the beginning to make sure they were stealing off of the idea of local ownership and allowing local people to make money for not doing anything except being politically connected. But in the case of equity, what they're saying is, I think, if I'm understanding the argument correctly, is because this was illegal and some people broke the law and we used the law as it was legally required to be used, somehow they have they have suffered a penalty that is unfair and we have to remedy that fair by that unfairness by rigging the process of giving out marijuana licenses which is really totally unrelated to to what they were arrested for or how they might have been mistreated you know the premise is 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 totally totally false um, it, it says that you know since certain areas where the minority populations are concentrated had more drug sellers and more drug users, they should get the the licenses now because the war on drugs was unfair. Well, maybe it was unfair, but what about the people who obeyed the law? What do they get for obeying the law? They get screwed. They get nothing. They get penalized. Uh, it, it's it's really all you know, kind of silly. And uh, you know, giving uh, a, a, an exclusive license to uh, some you know people who can claim that uh, you know minority heritage or having lived in a an oppressed zone for, for for a while uh, that that doesn't pay back uh, society for the harm done by the war on drugs it's a it's a tiny tiny thing it's really it just turns the licensing process into political patronage and that's the idea yeah but it's also disgusting because of it's going after the government. It's attacking the government and saying the government is bad. The government that we run is bad. It's like how the Democrats run around and talk about what they want to do for the underserved communities, and they're talking about the communities that they are in charge of underserving. And they want us to somehow pay back the people they've underserved for their underservice so those people will vote for them. Like, well, you can't, uh, you can't uh, rig underserving, the... Go ahead. Underserving the minority community is, is, is the policy by which the Democrats... Uh, you know, be, make make their operation so so profitable. I mean, you know, again, I'm I'm old enough to remember that uh, you know for fifty, sixty years we've had this this problem in Connecticut of the concentration of of poverty in the cities and the concentration of the minorities in the cities. And well, guess what? Here we are, you know, fifty, sixty years later, and it's it's the same. Nothing about it has 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 changed. Uh, but you know, the Democrats run the cities; they run the state. And they continue operating the cities as as jurisdictions to be farmed for yes. uh, their, their big pluralities in in the uh, in the elections. Uh, you know, the, the governor is running around the state right now, passing out all sorts of financial goodies, especially in the in the cities where the democratic pluralities uh, come from. And nobody's asking, hey, you know, why why are our cities? so poor after all this time when you know we're supposed supposedly elevating them no the, the cities are are functioning exactly as they're meant to function as as, as poverty factories that uh, the democrats lord over and get their votes from so I, what i'm waiting for is for voters to suddenly realize that the people who are in charge of the institutional racism and who implement it and make sure that it can't be shaken from place are the ones coming around looking for their vote who they give their vote to and for f from whom they are seeking payments for the bad job they did on underserving their underserved communities 
Well, those communities now are immensely dependent on on the government, not just for you know money to the cities uh, for their you know government agencies, but you know also for employment and and, and welfare benefits. Uh, you know, building the dependence of the urban poor is the democratic policy, mm-hmm. and you know you can't expect the urban poor to to figure it out so easily when you know they're on the payroll in a in, in a way, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, it's the, the policy is not to make people self-sufficient and 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 showing initiative and and gaining in life. It's to keep them dependent, and that's why they they keep voting Democratic because they're dependent. We're talking to Chris Powell from the Journal Enquirer. So, if it's hard to figure out, you would think that some people have the ability to figure out, and you would think most of all that would be the educated class, and yet. American universities and the universities in Connecticut, these are, these are incubators for leftist, socialist, communist thinking. And, and in support of the injection of those principles into American government, even as all of this is going on, how come those guys, with all their degrees and diplomas, they can't figure it out? Well, you know, because they're government dependents, too. I mean, you know, most of the uh, universities, uh, or at least the the enrollment in the universities in Connecticut, they're mostly government universities, the uh, community colleges and the re- regional uh, colleges and the state university. Uh, that's, those, are, those are government operations. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the educating class is very much dependent on government. You've got the uh, public school teachers unions. It's probably the most influential special interest uh, in, in the state, uh, uh, they're drawing their money from uh, the government too. Look, the, the the social contract in Connecticut is that the middle class will let the Democrats operate the cities as poverty factories to be farmed, as long as the middle class can escape the cities by moving to the suburbs and you know try to keep the poverty out with exclusive zoning. And that's our social contract in Connecticut. And it stinks. Well, they're trying to burst it now by sort of a back door by changing the zoning, right? Yeah, but, you know, you wouldn't have the problem if you were elevating the poor to the middle class in the first place. Then there wouldn't be opposition to people coming out from the cities and living in the suburbs because they weren't going to be, you know, poor and dysfunctional. Yes, but their business model is denied, is, is built on denying access to any place but the city. Yeah, the, the the democratic business model is to keep people poor in the cities. Well, that's pretty that's pretty hard hitting, but accurate stuff from Chris Powell. Okay, somebody ha- should just audit this. How long has this been the case? I mean, one of the first conferences I went to as a young reporter it was around mm-hmm. 1970. It was something in West Hartford. It was a conference about the concentration of of poverty and minorities in the cities. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is, this is so great. You know, the big thinkers are thinking about this. Yes, so, you know, they're you still know, thinking. Here we, here we are 50 years later, and nothing has changed, and nobody asks why has nothing changed. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. I had a guy on earlier in the show who's running for state treasurer, Eric Russell, and um, his and he's the party-endorsed candidate for state treasurer uh, on the Democratic side, and he's black and gay, and but in terms of having something to say, he really didn't know what to say, and he was just spewing all these platitudes, how he wants to continue the fine work of the governor and and continue the great uh, progress the state's making on its fiscal condition. 
And I thought, wow, this guy really knows nothing. And this is the party-endorsed candidate. They thought all you have to do is go find somebody who looks like certain groups of people so that you can virtue signal, and then they can just push them right into office. Yeah, the Democrats this year at their convention, they, they went back to the, you know, the years of uh, ticket balancing. I got an email the other day from Russell's uh, campaign publicist asking if I was in, interested in interviewing, you know, the, the guy who would be the first LGBT. Yeah, I got the same email. That's why yeah, I booked him. Uh, and uh, you know, I I wrote back politely saying, "Look, I, I I had never cared about the sexual orientation of political aspirants, and thankfully, I don't know today many people who do care. Uh, but you know, if if he had anything to say about how he'd operate the office, he should call the Journal Inquirer's news desk, and maybe they'll talk to him." Oh, you missed a fun opportunity, Chris. Uh, well, I look, I. Uh, I, I, I don't want to be, uh, you know, too nasty, but, you know, they, uh, we're being asked to interview this guy over his sexual orientation and not about what he's going to do in office. Yes. Well, have you seen uh, Dita Bargava's ads? Uh, I saw the uh, the first one about abortion. I didn't know about the second one until you were uh, airing it uh, uh, a few minutes ago. Um, you know, there's there's another case of... <laughs> Don't tell us about what you know. You, you how you really operate the office. Uh, you, just tell us who you want to beat up on in the in, in the private economy. I, uh, Barkov is getting away with something here because nobody's asking her for for details. She wants to invest only in companies that uh, support abortion rights. Well, okay. Somebody ought to ask her, well, are you talking about late-term abortion rights? Is that going to be one of your uh, criteria? Uh, You know, how about investing in jurisdictions that get in the way of abortion? For example, uh, most European countries forbid abortion uh, uh, for ordinary purposes after after 12 weeks. That's Mm -hmm. a... You know, pretty tight restriction by by U.S. standards. Uh, uh, would Bargava, you know, prevent pension fund investments in uh, in European countries that uh, don't have all abortion all the time? Um, you know, there's interesting details here. Another detail is: uh, uh, Do you think uh, any company that would crave Connecticut State Pension Fund investment so badly? that it would rewrite its health insurance plan is necessarily worth investing in. I'd say any company that was that desperate for state investment is very likely not such a, you know, a, a safe investment to begin with. Chris Powell, thank you, sir. Thanks for letting me harangue your people. Take care. <laughs> we'll talk to you again next week. Chris Powell from the Journal Inquirer. Wow. We got him pumped up. And he, uh, he does that to himself, too. Fascinating to talk to. 860 Play some more rants. We've got Bob Stefanowski next hour. What else do I have to tell you about? We'll take some phone calls, of course. Yeah? What is it? Okay. Never mind. Does that mean never mind Mark Christopher, or can we still do him? Oh, good. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.